I've been sweating bullets through the whole service when I found out Keith was going to introduce me because we do go back a long way and uh, there have been a lot of experiences that we've shared through that time and there, there were so many places he could have gone that he chose not to go and I'm grateful for it. So uh, I do appreciate it. It's been a joy in my life to serve Alabama Baptist through the State Board of Missions for 30 years. I retired about a year and a half ago now at the end of 2020. Uh, and it's been, a, it's been an interesting journey to watch the transition that's happened across our state uh, as we continue to be on mission with the Great Commission. And it's been a joy of mine to be a part of that process uh, and to be connected to Alabama Baptist churches. I think Alabama Baptist Convention is probably one of the strongest conventions from a missions perspective of any convention in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, we, we, we're able to say that because of our churches and because of our people. Uh, we, we believe that Alabama Baptists are some of the most missions-minded, if not the most missions-minded group uh, you'll find anywhere. There's always been a sacrifice of giving through the cooperative program as well as through Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, Myers Mallory State Missions Offering, which this church knows a good bit about with Martha Myers. Uh, we're, we've, been in, we've been blessed in Alabama to have had that culture of mission support and uh, I, I just thank you again. I'm no longer a representative of the State Board of Missions, uh, but I do want to say thank you for your generosity through the years in mission support and through your involvement with Montgomery Baptist Association and the other churches here in the city. Uh, that's, a, that's a tremendous opportunity and blessing, and I'm grateful uh, to have the opportunity to be with you today. This is not my first time. Uh, to be here at Dalrada, but it's the first white time I've been here in a while. So uh, if your memory's like mine, some of you don't remember me when I was here before, but that's okay. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn with me. If you'll just open to De Deuteronomy 31, uh, that's where we're going to launch in just a few minutes. But I want to, I want to uh, really, uh, I, I felt led today to come, come to you this morning with this message entitled, Change Happens. And I don't know how it is with you, but I know with me, change has been a part of my life. Uh, when I was young, I liked change. I liked a different venue every once in a while. I liked for things to happen differently. But as I've gotten older, I've become a bit more resistant to change. But you know, when you get right down to it, we really don't have a choice as to whether change is going to happen. It's going to be how we respond to that change and how we react to it and how we manage it that is going to be the determination of whether we survive and thrive or whether we just exist in the face of change. If you think about it for a moment, change happens as we go through our journey of life. If you think, just, just for a moment, if, you're, if you remember when you graduated from high school, that represented change for you. Maybe you went immediately off to college. I waited two years. I was in Northwest Junior College up in Phil Campbell, Alabama, right in the northwest corner of the state for my freshman and sophomore years of college and then transferred to Mobile College, which is now University of Mobile. But I remember as I, as I got in my car that morning in August, going into my junior year of college when I was leaving home for the first time, when I was backing out of the driveway and looked on the front porch and mom and dad were standing there watching me leave and it suddenly dawned on me that my life was about to change forever. It was a change that I had not anticipated. I'd said all through my high school years, I can't get away, I can't wait to get away from home. 
I can't wait to get off on my own. And then when that time came, it wasn't as pleasant as I thought it was going to be. I knew I would always be able to go back home, but I knew at that moment things would never be the same again, and they really weren't. But, but not just from a standpoint of, of, of graduation from high school, but going on to college when you get married, that's a change, isn't it? <laughs> oh boy, you've been, your whole life you've been single. You know, you've been kind of making decisions on your own and then all of a sudden you get married and things change and you have to deal with that change. Some people deal with it better than others. But marriage represents change. What about the birth of a child? Does that represent change? I don't know how it was with you, but when our children came along, Connie and I would look at each other and say, what did we do before this baby got here? Because all of our attention now was focused on that child and helping, helping get that child a, a, a foundation upon which they could build the rest of their life. So marriage and birth represent change. What about retirement? I found that out a year and a half ago. Uh, some days it's good, some days not so good. When you've, when you've been working your entire life, and I'm in ministry now, this is my 52nd year. I know I don't look that old, but I, I've been in ministry 52 years now, and, and I've always been plugged into to what I was doing in a local church or with the State Board of Missions. And then to, to move from that all of a sudden to where you've got free time and you don't know what you're going to do with your time, that's change. And some days I deal with it very well, and some days I don't. So change happens. There's not much we can do. It happens in life, but it also happens in church. If you, if you think about it for a moment, uh, there are changing demographics that happen all the time in the local church. I, I know when I came to Forest Park back in 87 as pastor, uh, that, that community around Forest Park had already changed. Interstate 85 had come through and pretty well split the Oak Park community, and a lot of our members had moved out to what we thought was out in the in the God-forsaken benones of country life. And, and lo and behold, they were just out about Taylor Road, but it felt like they were 30 miles away. And some of them decided, since they lived in a new area and were closer to other Baptist churches, to go to those churches instead of come back to Forest Park. We experienced a demographic change that altered the future of our congregation. Membership flight. Uh, I, I was here in the 80s when, when uh, Vaughn Forrest was just getting started and, 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 and Ed Matheson uh, at, at, at the little Methodist church across town was, was going strong and, and there were people leaving Baptist churches to go to that new start and go to that new exciting place and, 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 and participate in worship. But there was membership flight that happened in congregations across across our city, and that, that has an effect on church life. What about the transition of lay leadership? When you begin to think as, as, as we get older, uh, you know, we may have been, been, been called to work with young people and children and students, and, and we've been doing that for years and years and years, and all of a sudden we realize we're not, we're, we, don't, we're, we're not, we don't belong there anymore. It's time for some younger people to take our place, and that leadership transition happens in the local church. It has an impact. It changes the life of the church. What about generational change transitions of of there was a time in 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 life in the local church when there may have been three generations of people at that church when the death rate 
uh, among, among people at that point was in the 40s and early 50s. You might have three generations of people. You, you know, it's possible in some churches we may have five and six generations of families in church at the same time. How do, you, how do you structure a worship service to speak to, to small children and those in their 90s at the same time? How, how, do, you, how do you conclude at the end of service to, to let everyone feel like they've been a part of worship without somebody sitting there feeling excluded from what's going on? Those, those generational transitions can have an impact. What about, what about pastor-staff transitions when there's a leadership change in the life of the church? That, that, that brings about change, doesn't it? I mean, when you've had a pastor for 23 years who's announced retirement and you're looking in the next few months at beginning that process of searching for a new pastor, I, I believe that would recommend a time of change for this congregation. Change happens. You can't stop it. I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are. You can't stop change. But you do have some consideration as to how you respond to change. And I want to give you this morning from, from God's Word how God impacts change. And hopefully through this time we have together this morning, we'll be able to see some things about God's intervention in life at the time we are experiencing change that helps us in dealing with it. First of all, I would want you to know that God's plan is calming. That's what happens when, when God is involved in the process of change. His plan is calming. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31. I want us to read the first seven verses of this chapter. And Moses went and spake these words unto all Israel. And he said unto them, I am 120 years old this day, I can no more go out and come in. Also, the Lord hath said to me, Thou shalt not go over this Jordan. The Lord thy God, he will go over before thee, and he will destroy these nations from before thee, and thou shalt possess them. And Joshua, he shall go over before thee, and as the Lord hath said. And, and the Lord shall do unto them as he did in Sion and in Og, kings of the Amorites, and unto the land of them whom he destroyed." And the, when the Lord shall give them up before your face, that you shall go do unto them according unto all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he is he, is he that goeth uh, with, them, with thee, and he will not fail thee nor forsake thee. And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him, in the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. Now, I would remind you that in the history of Israel, Moses was the only spiritual leader this group had ever known. As they came out of Egyptian bondage and began working their way toward the promised land, Moses had been the only leader these people had ever had. But you find in Deuteronomy chapter 31 that there came a point where Moses announced to the people, I'm 120 years old, I can no longer come in and go out, therefore there's going to be a change. And it's interesting to note that even before the change occurred, God had already developed a plan to deal with it. You do realize 
that before change happens in your life, God already has a plan in the process, in the works. If you're, if you're a person of faith and you're trying to follow God in your life, just know that every time a change event happens, God has other doors open for you, for you to consider as far as your future is concerned. I can look back over my life over these, these last almost seven decades now and begin looking at how God has positioned me at different intervals to, to be ready to take the next step of my life. I didn't know, I didn't know anything about Mobile College when I left uh, North Alabama as a junior, uh, my, my junior year of college. I had no idea. I knew I was going to be a religion major. I'd already answered God's call to preach, and I, I was preparing for that, and, and I just felt led to Mobile. I, I had no idea what I was going to find when I got down there. What I found was God had already put people in place there to give me some direction and guidance as to my future. Men like, like John Thomas and W.C. Dobbs, who were my primary religion professors, and since I was a transfer coming in as a junior, most all of my classes I took during my last two years of college were in religion. So I saw them multiple times every day. They were my primary teachers, and they had a tremendous influence in my life. When I graduated from college and came to, to, I was going back home to do some supply preaching or whatever I could find to do for the summer uh, before I went to seminary in the fall. And uh, my last semester at Mobile, uh, I got word through the placement office that a church in Montgomery was looking for a part-time uh, minister of youth, a part-time summer youth worker. And, and uh, so I, I, you know, I, I signed up. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, Little did I know that in just a few weeks, I would be answering the call to the Normandale Baptist Church here in Montgomery back in the mid-70s, and Dr. Earl Hall would be the pastor of that church. And I, I don't know of any man who's influenced me more in ministry than Dr. Hall did. I didn't know Dr. Hall. I'd never heard of Dr. Hall. I didn't know anything about Nor Normandale. I'd really never been to Montgomery. And how God could open that avenue for me to take the next step of my life with a man like that giving me guidance and leadership and helping me have a foundation of ministry. I have found myself throughout the future years of ministry from 75 when I first met Dr. Hall. I've gone back to him, sat down in his office, and I've said, Dr. Hall, I don't know how to deal with this. They didn't prepare this, prepare me for this in seminary. They never talked about this kind of issue from pastoral leadership perspective in seminary. What do I do? And I found Dr. Hall always willing to sit down with me and counsel me. You see, God put him in my life before I ever knew who he was. And that's just how God's plan works. Now, before the nation of Israel ever found out there was going to be a change of leadership from Moses to someone else, God already had a plan in place. And God does the same thing for us. I guarantee you, if you're, a, if you're a believer this morning, if you're a person who's following after God through a personal relationship with Christ, and you're coming up on a, a time of transition, a time of change in your life, just go ahead and write it down. God already has future directions for you to consider. God already has a future plan for your life. That is, that is absolutely critical through these opening verses of Joshua, uh, Deuteronomy 31. 
It's God saying to the children of Israel and to Moses and to Joshua, change is coming, but I've got it covered. So he said it to Moses. Moses then said it to the people. Moses then brought Joshua up in front of the people and said, this is the person God has chosen to lead you into the promised land. So even before the leadership vacancy occurred, God already had a plan that he was putting in place for the children of Israel. You say, well, that was great back then. That's Old Testament days. God doesn't do that anymore, does he? Well, he does too. You can know right now that as your church prepares for a transitional leadership opportunity here in the next few months, that God already has a plan that he's put in place. The responsibility of this congregation is to discover that plan and follow that plan because God's plan is always calming. 23 years of ministry in a local church. They say after six years, the church begins to take on the personality of the pastor. 23 years of that, though? How do you follow 23 years of Rick Evans? Whoever comes here, his shoes are filled, are going to be hard to fill before he gets here, I guarantee you. But I wouldn't write God off at this point if I were you. Because God has a plan, and I believe God has a man he's already preparing for this place, this pulpit. It's the responsibility of this church to find out what that plan is and who that man is and extend a call for them to come give spiritual leadership for the next generation or two or three of the life of this church. God's plan is calming. But I would also contend that in light of what we read through this story, God's promises are certain. Now, I imagine the children of Israel were a little bit concerned when they found out Moses was going to be moving off the scene. I imagine some of them were asking questions about what's life going to be like now that Moses is gone. Moses is the only leader we've ever known. There's not going to be another person like Moses. Well, that's true. There wouldn't be another leader like Moses. But God had somebody else in mind. Their question was, well, what about all those promises God made to Moses? What will that mean when we get a new leader? Will God keep his promise? Will God keep his word? What about those promises about God never leaving us or forsaking us? What about those promises of God always defending us? What about, what about those promises of the land that God was going to give us? Do all those promises go away when, when Moses goes away? Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Let me read first five verses of this chapter just to give us a little context of what God is going to say to the people now after the death of Moses the servant of the Lord it came to pass that the Lord spoke unto Joshua the son of Nun Moses minister saying Moses my servant is dead now therefore arise go over this Jordan thou and all this people under the land which I do give them even to the children of Israel Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness 
and this Lebanon, even to the great river, the Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and under the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not be any man able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. God's promises are certain. Go back and look at verse 1. I, I, can't, I can't just let this pass over because it's an interesting transition that, that, that is being made here. The, the word says, now after the death of Moses, that, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, and, and here's what he said. Look at verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. How do you think God found out about that? Did, um, did one of the prophets tell him? <laughs> did, he, did he read the, the local gazette and find out the next morning that Moses, did he read the obituary section and see Moses' name and know that? No. no. You see, God has a relationship with his people. And when he has a relationship with his people, he knows everything about them. He knows everything that's going on with them. So, so you can write it down this morning that God knows everything about you. He knows where you are. He knows what your struggles are. He knows what issues you're facing. He knows what changes you're dealing with. He knows all that right now. He knows that about you. He has that knowledge about you. The New Testament would put it another way, and Keith and I are left out at this point because it says even the hairs on your head are numbered. He doesn't have to count as high on some of us as he does the rest of you. But God's promises are certain. Moses, my servant, is dead. God knew that. But I want you to notice what happens immediately after that. The verse doesn't stop there. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, and he starts outlining the process that's going to be followed in the future. Now, therefore, he says, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them and even to the children of Israel. There was not going to be a time where the people of Israel would be able just to sit down and relax because Moses is gone and another leader has not established himself yet. That was not an option as far as the, as far as the, the message of God was concerned. It simply said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Almost the same day Moses died where he says to Joshua, now then, here's what our next step is. You see, God is not only his plan is calming, but his promises are certain. See, that's what he had said to Moses back at the very beginning when he called him. And, and as he began leading the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and, and on that journey toward the promised land, that's what God had always promised his people, that there would come a point where the promised land would be theirs. Moses hasn't even been buried yet. And God is already saying to Joshua, 
Moses died last night. Now, therefore, let's get up and let's move into Jordan. Let's go. The plan was continuing. It's God's way of saying every promise he had made to Moses was going to be fulfilled through the ministry leadership of Joshua. I would like to ask you this morning, has there ever been a time in your life when God has broken a promise? Has there ever been a time when God told you he'd do something and then didn't do it? I would argue no. (laughs) There has not been and there never will be. As God has led this church to this point, God will continue leading this church into the future so long as this church continues to follow his leadership. So if God has a plan for this church, which I believe he does... God also has made promises to this church in the past which he will keep. That's something that you can bank on. That's something that you can latch hold of. God is not finished with this congregation. God is not through with this church. There is still work to be done. And and there is a transition coming, but there is also a plan of God that will be in place after that transition happens. And you will be able to recognize the promises of God that will be fulfilled through your new leadership as God gives you the wisdom to call this person to be your pastor. God's promises are certain. He never breaks them. He never violates them. And he will never, ever do that. But there's a third element of this story, and that is God's expectations are constant. Verses 6 through 9 of Joshua 1 reads like this be strong and of good courage unto this people uh, for the unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which i swear unto their fathers to give them only be strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do all to the law uh, which moses my servant commanded thee turn not from it to the right hand or the left hand that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all that that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Neither be thou dismayed or discouraged, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest god's expectations are constant now israel had a history didn't they israel had a history that there were times in life when they were not responsive to the leadership of god see this is happening at a time when moses comes to the end of his ministry and joshua is ready to assume the mantle of leadership But in between Moses bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt and this moment in their life, there were times when Israel rebelled against God and they suffered the consequences, didn't they? Some of them died in the wilderness and were told they would never see the promised land because of their unwillingness to follow God and obey Him. So God is helping us understand the criteria up front, very very much from the very beginning with Joshua. And that is, here's what I expect from you. 
This is God speaking. He's talking about things like being, being strong and courageous and observed to do according to the law, everything the law teaches. So in our context, let's just put that in terms we can understand today. This church has a guidebook. This church has a map that God has given it. This church has an opportunity to read for yourself under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what this Word teaches. And the Word of God is, don't stray to the right or to the left of what this Word says. In other words, he's saying to the people, be obedient to what I'm saying to you. When, the, when, the, when Moses would stand or when Joshua would stand and say, thus saith the Lord, God's expectation was the people would hear and act upon what they had heard. They would be responsive. They would, they would say yes to whatever God was asking them to do. And if they were to understand the blessing of God and the promises of God and the future of God, it hinged upon their faithfulness, their obedience, their willingness to follow His leadership. I would challenge you to start reading through the book of Joshua and find out that sometimes they did that well and sometimes not so well. There would be battles where they would go in against overwhelming odds and the children of Israel would come out with glowing victory. There would be other times when they would be against a lesser army. They would not do what God said do and they would suffer utter defeat. But the expectation is right up front with God. He says, here's the word, don't stray from it, follow it, be obedient to it. When God's plan becomes visible, affirm it. When, when God's promises are put out in front of you, claim them. But understand there are expectations that God has of us through any time of change that we experience in life, and that is that we continue to follow Him. One of the, one of the great things we have as believers is the, is the knowledge that God loves us and God has a plan for us and that God has resources available to us that we can rely on that we will not be able to find anywhere else. So God has a plan for Dalreda. God's promises are true for Dalreda. His expectation is that those who make up this congregation will continue to be obedient to him in the future just as you have been in the past. And he will use that faithfulness, he will use that obedience to continue guiding this church in the direction he would have her go. So he says to the children of Israel at the death of Moses, don't lose hope. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Change is coming. Change can be difficult or change can be good. It has everything to do with attitude. But he says, when this change happens, you continue to be faithful to me, and I will continue to be faithful to you, and I will lead you in the paths I would have you go, and if you'll go there, your life, your congregation will be everything God has called this church to be. He says, don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. 
Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Be obedient. Follow God, and he'll take care of the rest. Now, this morning, God has a plan for your life. I don't know if you've found that plan yet or not. I don't know if you've ever entered into a life-changing relationship with Christ or not. But his plan is out there in front of you, and if you'll follow it, I promise you, it gives you the potential of becoming everything God has created you to be. Ignore it, and you do so at your own peril. You, you make a choice not to follow the one who has the plan that is best for your life. But if you are a believer, you're one who trusts God, you're, you're one who puts your confidence in Him, you try to follow Him, His Word is plain this morning. He has a plan. He's given promises. The expectation is that we obediently follow Him, and if we do, He'll take care of the rest. That's something to hold on to. That's something to grab hold of. Those are promises and plans that we can latch on to and make something of life that God has given us. So I would encourage you this morning. Maybe, maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. This might be the day for you to experience that plan of God in your life for the very first time and come and repent of your sin, trust Jesus as your Savior, and begin your walk today as a new person in the faith. And having the opportunity to put into practice what God is, has planned for your life. Or maybe you're a believer this morning and you've been a little anxious and you're getting a little worried and concerned and fretting over the future. I would say to you this morning, uh, lay all that down, let it go. God's got this. God's in control. He has a plan. He's given promises. All we need to do is be obedient to Him and follow Him as decisions are made moving into the future. And if we can do that, God will take care of the rest. Let's pray together. Then we'll have a moment of decision. And maybe there's a decision God would lay on your heart this morning. Father, we thank you today for the privilege of opening your word together and recognizing that through the transition of leadership between Moses and Joshua, you unveiled your plan, you reaffirmed your promises, and you said to your people, if you'll be obedient and follow me, I'll take care of everything. Father, help us to claim that this morning for ourselves personally and for this church as a congregation moving forward. Lord, we pray your blessing on us, and we pray that as decisions are made this morning, as people may trust Jesus for the first time, or people may want to come and kneel at the altar here and pray, or a person may want to unite with this church by a promise of letter or statement of faith, or Lord, there may be a, a, a person who just wants to have prayer and Lord, whatever decision you would place on their heart this morning, give them the courage to make it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.